0: You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV.
1: Hi, I'm Robert Wright. I run the Non Zero Foundation, which produces all the shows on Blogging Heads TV and Meaning of Life TV. We host a variety of voices, some of them pretty unorthodox, and we encourage dialogue that is sharp but civil. We think fostering constructive conversation is especially important now that America and the world are looking kind of fragile. If you agree that our mission is important, I hope you'll consider helping us shoulder the cost. You can do that by becoming one of our cherished patrons at patreon.com slash nonzerofoundation. That's N-O-N-Z-E-R-O-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N. Thanks. We need your help. And we deeply appreciate it,
0: Crispin Sarwell. Good to see you.
1: Good to see you, Dan.
0: Um, welcome to everyone in the Sophia Audience Blogging Heads TV Meaning of Life TV. Um, this is the Sophia program. I'm Daniel Kaufman, your host. I'm a professor of philosophy at Missouri State University. I'm joined uh, by Crispin Sarwell, associate professor of philosophy at Dickinson College, um, and. Uh, Crispin um
1: Wait, let me put in my earpieces just
0: That's fine. (laughs) I see I have this I have this very fancy thing. Okay. I'm coming. Okay.
1: (laughs) Oh look, you got a mic, man.
0: Yeah, I've got the whole and it's directional so it doesn't pick up noise from from the from you, so that's why I don't have to wear headphones. Um Alright, so we Crispin and I um, aside from our famous legendary friendship, um, uh, we, we follow each other on Twitter. <laughs> we follow each other on Twitter. And, um,
1: it's scary. It's every scary now both and then, ways.
0: Every now and then we'll get into little exchanges over things. You know, Crispin will post something and I'll comment on it or I'll post something and he'll say that. And this time around, um, it was something to do – I don't remember how it started, but it was something to – Somebody did something with regard to standpoint epistemology or standpoint theory, and I had a bunch of things to say about it. And Crispin had a bunch of things to say about it. And I said, "Hey, why don't we do something on this?" Um, Crispin tends to be view it favorably. Standpoint theory. I tend to not view it favorably. I wrote a little essay summarizing my my objections to it, and I invited Crispin. I said, "Look, you know, why don't we why don't we talk about this?" So that's what we're here to do. We're here to talk about standpoint theory. Standpoint epistemology, um, as it's sometimes called. Um, now, Crispin, yeah, go ahead, please, anything you want.
1: Okay, I, I, I just want to, I'm going to say one thing here. Um, and I think this matters more from one of the standpoints that we're going to articulate than uh, another. Uh, we, I, but standpoint epistemology would suggest that we should acknowledge who we are right here. Okay, like, uh, and, and this, you may find this irritating. I'm not sure, or if you will, or, or not. But like, it's, it's gonna be, okay, so this is a discourse that emerges from feminist theory and critical race theory. Um, and we are two white guys, similar backgrounds, really, in a lot of ways, uh, somewhat different ages and things. Um, and that might make a difference, okay? Uh, you know, like, so if all knowledge is situated in those kind of ways, then it might be good to situate what we're doing a little bit or provisionally, or I guess it's a question whether that matters or not, but I thought that's worth saying early. Well, that
0: will come up. I mean, I mean, that's what we're talking about um, and, and about the relevance of these sort of identifications to one's epistemic standing. Um, but just on the matter of the history... Um, let me ask you, and you may know this better than me, um, given your background, but I was under the impression that the origins of this is actually Marxism um, and it ha- having to do with the uh, privileged perspective of the working classes with respect to their own oppression yes. as opposed to the those in the managerial classes. I, so I didn't think that this originated with feminism and critical race theory. I thought this was originally a Marxist part of the hermeneutics of suspicion circle that you get in Marx and others. Is that is that not correct? Uh,
1: well, I'll tell you what. Like, I guess I came across it in uh, I was introduced to it by my girlfriend of, who was a feminist theorist in the early 90s. Uh, I don't know, man. Like you could, it's easy to set a foot wrong here. But, uh, but uh, lovely person.
0: Does it not originate though? Originally
1: in- I, I, I was introduced to it in, in terms of Haraway Donna Haraway and Sandra Harding and a couple of other figures uh, as having developed in the 80s. Ooh. Now they attribute the ideas often, or you know, trace the ideas to Marx, okay, and to Hegel. Uh, the the master-slave dialectic in Hegel, which runs a kind of similar structure or whatever. Right. I think you know but in terms of like calling something standpoint epistemology and trying to develop it as a kind of distinctive tract track within the academic discourse I think it's feminism in the 80s where where that comes to be named but yeah, yeah. they attributed it to kind of Marxist theory and it's definitely connected to um yeah to the standpoint of the proletariat in relation to capitalism yeah as Marx conceived that, or whatever, yeah,
0: yeah, I thought I thought that it went back to Marx because it originates as a kind of a critique or in reaction to the Enlightenment conception of sort of objectivity or neutrality or epistemic the epistemic norms of the Enlightenment. I thought it was sort of a, re, a reaction against. Um, Saying, no, that's bullshit. There's no disinterested, rational stance. Everybody's coming from a position. Yeah. And that affects yes. your epistemic standing and so on and so forth. And yeah. now it's just a matter of working the details out of how exactly it affects your stand, epistemic standing and all that.
1: Right. Um, and if you want to read it, that uh, from a certain strand of Marxism, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, no, that, and I dates, yeah. yeah no,
1: no, and I don't. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, and I don't. Me, let me immediately distance myself. I am not evoking some kind of, you know this kind of Jordan Peterson, uh, cultural Marxism, that's not my, that's not, the point of this is not to slur it. Um, um, I, have plenty, I just want to, I just wanted to know where I, I was of the impression it originated in the Marxist critique of this idea of neutral reason or disinterested, um, uh, epistemic disinterestedness that comes out of the enlightenment and that imagines a kind of an idealized epistemic subject.
1: Yes. But note, if we Mark, for with regard to Marx himself, he he himself makes all these kinds of scientific claims for his own economics and so on, right? Yeah. Like in other words, he he definitely doesn't develop any kind of systematic standpoint, or and and really, he's pretty embedded in the Enlightenment.
0: Yeah, fair although, enough.
1: though he yields resources for a critique, right? Yeah, like uh, of privileged standpoints and stuff. But I I, just, that's
0: a, know, yeah, lighter Brian Leiter has this this this. This paper on the hermeneutics of suspicion where he talks about Marx and Freud and and I think, who's the third? Is it Leotard? I'm sorry, Nietzsche, Nietzsche, Nietzsche. Um, And I was under the impression that this represents the beginning, provides the conceptual ingredients that then make for this sort of strong standpoint epistemology. But if I'm wrong about that, I'm happy to drop it. Um,
1: I, I think a lot of strands are running into it. It's a pretty complex story. Okay. Like I say, as a named tendency within like epistemological theory and si- philosophy of science, uh, I ran, at least I ran into it as a feminist thing, yeah. attributing it to Marx partly.
0: Yeah, or, or certainly, to today, certainly today, certainly yeah. today, it's evoked primarily in co- feminist context and yes. race oriented context. Yes. And, and, and so that's what we're going to be primarily talking about. Um, yeah. <laughs> In terms of um, our obligatory self identifications, um, so, you know, this is part of, this is worth sort of part of maybe talking about for a second. You know, um, I under, you know, I, I guess one thing I would ask, and this actually is not in the criticisms I sent you and the objections I sent you, but this is something I would ask and sort of like, you know, what determines these identifications? So you just identified us. Yes. Now, if I reject that identification, Yes. What is the basis of settling a dispute between us? If if uh, if uh, if uh, if someone I'm arguing with about, let's say, racism, and let's say that person is black or Hispanic or belong, and they identify me as white, and I reject that mm-hmm. characterization, I say, yes. no, I'm not. No, 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 I'm not. Right? Is that supposed to be an, is that supposed to be an empirical matter? I'm just curious because it sounds to me uh, like I, a power yeah. game from the beginning. From from step one, it's a positioning exercise. Because I could turn what? around and say, you know, it's funny you call me white. I wasn't we weren't white enough for the Germans. Right, um, I understand. The, the Germans attacked like my entire a, family for not being white. <laughs> so yeah, so I, what I, do you mean I'm white?
1: I have a I have a similar background. Yeah.
0: Okay. So what uh, makes this white exactly?
1: I mean I think this is a complex story and I think you can introduce ambiguities and vagueness. And a lot of times this kind of discourse loses the rough edges and things like this. But I do think that you and me walking down the streets of American city, American city are easily identified as white. I think we've been treated as white throughout our lives. OK, uh, I don't know if you agree with that. I mean, and I don't know what that means exactly. Like it's going to have to be a hard, long story about what that means. But I think that it's a social reality in the sense that it's about how we are regarded and it comes to be a part of how we regard ourselves, whether conscious or unconscious in all sorts of ways. Like these are central social categories. They're in circulation. It's the same with our genders, man. Uh, like we are easily identified as men and this means all kinds of stuff. And, like, I can reject that, but I'm going to have to really work at shifting my reception you, you, you as a need, man. You,
0: need, you don't need to work at all. All you need to do is self-identify as trans, and you can now spend the rest of your life uh, brutalizing other people on social media for misgendering <laughs> you, right? Um, and you can get people fired from their jobs. And you can, um, you know, listen, uh, you've had this yeah. done to you along a different axis, right? I mean... I guess a part of me is really well, very surprised that you're a fan of this sort of thing, given that it seems to me you've been a target within the orbit of this sort of. Um, uh, no, that's true discourse. Um, that, that that that's quite true, and I feel kind of misunderstood in
1: some ways about that because I have all these sympathies uh, with with all these moves. Okay, but I, I get—I tend to get really upset when people are trying to shut other people up or whatever or uh, no matter what position they're
0: taking, right, basically. Right, right. But, yeah. Let's not be – and I'm trying – I want to not flail around, because this is the sort of thing I can react to everything and we can go off on every tangent. Right, exactly. I just did want to register that I guess I am going to resist a little bit this idea that somehow it's just sort of – you know, these categorizations that we should be put into are just sort of obvious – and I'm curious about who curates these yeah. assignments. You know, if you They're, asked me, look, a lot of the benefits supposedly of me being white, let's say, right? In a yeah. place like Springfield, Missouri, aren't that, op- aren't that apparent to me? Because in Springfield, Missouri, it's not just about being white. It's about being Christian, right? Um, and, you know, my daughter suffered a lot of the kind of discrimination that you would normally assign yeah. to minorities. Yes. Because I was, I, we're white, yeah. but we're not Christian, right? I and was raised in living-
1: like I was to Jewish kids in Nashville and uh, Tuscaloosa there for a while, things like that, uh, maybe a similar experience. Look, that's all true. And I think, like, the, like I say, these things are enormously complex on, complex on the ground. Uh, and I don't think any of these realities are simple or obvious. Okay, and I think that all these categories are contested. And who is who it is not white is constantly up for grabs and it's constantly cycling. Okay, it's, it's, uh, and these are very volatile categories. And there are many cases where you could like look at someone or think about someone and not know what to say. Okay, and, uh, that happens all the time. Yeah. You know, so, At, at any level that you're talking about this, where you're arranging groups and talking about what groups can know from particular, the particular standpoint or experiences they have as groups, you're engaged in a really kind of a super problematic, uh, you know, uh, you're, I, I guess to make this point, like I'm, I'm going to operate with the g- race and gender categories that are seemingly current or something like this, but I got to like want to always use them uh, in a way like that, that acknowledges how problematic they are and how historically volatile they are uh, and stuff like that. But I'm going to insist on on some kind of white privilege. OK, yeah. like I think this happens all the time in many different ways. I think yeah. we're probably treated quite differently than other kinds of people in the criminal justice system, for instance. Yeah. Okay. We we um, can get we
0: can get to, we'll get to that I'm sure. Yeah. Um um I guess so um I'll just, you know, because this this is not a mystery novel, so I'll I'll just give my conclusion and then we can and then then let's talk about let's define, let's define it. So, but my conclusion at the end of the day is what I my, my position you just said you're going to insist on some sort of white privilege. I'm going to insist that any talk of privilege or standpoints is only credible and intelligible at the level of the individual, that it makes no sense whatsoever at the group level, and I think I'm going to demonstrate that, okay? I think I'm going to demonstrate that. Let's put it this way. I don't believe that there is any meaningful sense in which... a a coal miner in Appalachia is privileged relative to a black student at Yale. Okay. I just don't. And I'll, I'll argue it. I mean, I'll argue it on the detailed level, including criminal justice. I will argue it. So, um, 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 but but let's get to that point. Let's get to that point. All right. So yeah, should we, let's, what standpoint, what what standpoint theory? So
1: what standpoint theory? Okay.
0: I have a quote from Rebecca Kukla who publishes a lot in this area and you can add or subtract to it as you like, but this is what I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. What I was working with in the essay. So, quote. I'm quoting now, um, and I'll have a link to the article in the uh, in the in the in the uh, link section. Quote. Most standpoint theorists have insisted upon two claims. One, that some contingent features of knowers can give them not only different but better or more objective knowledge than others have. And two, that social positions of marginalization and structural disadvantage, such as those inhabited by women, African-Americans of the working class, yield epistemological advantages, giving those who occupy them the potential to see truths that are inaccessible from the point of view of the dominant center. So that's the definition I was working with in the essay. Do you want to add or subtract anything from that? I'm pretty comfortable with that. Like okay. I say the the sources I originally had for this are
1: Sandra Harding and Donna Haraway and I think that's basically you know with maybe some refinements and some uh differences of terminology basically the idea absolutely okay it's 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 a it's kind of it's a nicely ironic reversal of privilege if there's any such thing as privilege group privilege right. right uh by saying like it's actually the subaltern side of this this is why it's kind of hegelian dialectic is potentially in play this kind of stuff uh uh that's privileged it's the uh it's the culturally or economically underprivileged who uh are epistemically privileged by this standpoint
0: okay all right so that's the claim and as I said in the um, in the piece, and I don't know whether you're going to want to make any hay of this, but as I said in the piece, I'm really not interested in whether sort of we can develop intellectually a purely abstract, uh, clean version of this that can respond to all the objections I might offer. What I'm really interested in is how this is being deployed in contemporary political discourse. It's being yeah. deployed primarily... Um, for purposes of discursive positioning, right? And that is, you know, we're being told that we should center these, these voices and yes. we should, we should quiet these other voices, right? So, yes. the, the traditionally dominant should shut up and the traditionally oppressed should talk. And the reason yes. that we should do that is because the traditionally oppressed have knowledge and epistemic positioning that the dominant don't have. And therefore, yes. they're more likely to say true things about these subjects. And yeah. so on and so forth that, do you accept that that's the sort of way this is being used
1: yes now I, I as you're not really maybe that interested in articulating the most ideal version
0: of this go ahead I, I,
1: I'm, I'm not I'm not that you know I'm not willing to take responsibility for every application of it, right? you see what I'm saying, even if I'm representing the point of view at the moment
0: I don't want to be it, in a position you don't want to be in a position in one of these well, you know. Uh, yeah, every time it's been tried, it's been terrible. But don't worry, there's no. a, you know you <laughs> no, know no, no, no. <laughs> we haven't tried the real version yet, right? I mean, you don't no, want to do no, that. I think right?
1: there's I, I, there's important, concrete insights that are being applied and could be applied profitably. So you I think, do you defend it, along it, on those do lines?
0: Do you defend yes. this sort of discursive use of it? Center X voices uh, and quiet these other voices. Yeah.
1: Yes. Not. Not application of it okay you know and i'm not advocating any particular person's firing you know
0: as like an
1: editor of the editor no, no, no. of the op- of the opinion page of the new york times
0: no i'm not going to saddle you with anything like that i mean just yeah. more like so, yes we should I, all put on our name tags we have our identifications and that should determine to some degree in whatever discursive space we're in who talks and who doesn't and who talks first and who talks second and whose talk is taken to be taken more seriously. Cause that's what this all cashes out into. I don't care if people have some abstract notion of where they stand or whatever, you know, you can think you stand wherever the hell you want. The question is whether if we're having a conversation, yeah. I'm going to be made to listen to you and I'm going to be silenced. That's the question, right? Or my voice uh, is going to be put secondary to your voice on the grounds of this.
1: Right. I'm not, I, like I said, I'm not personally advocating silencing anybody. Uh, but I, I could be advocating, I, I could understand advocating centralizing or emphasizing or trying to bring forth certain kinds of voices. What does that so, mean for in example,
0: practical terms? Give me an example.
1: Okay, let's try this. Here's, here's a problematic example from, from both of our points of view, probably. Like, here's a tough example I've just been thinking about for a little while. Uh, and and this could be used to critique standpoint epistemology, but I think it also shows interesting things about it. The 1619 Project at the New York Times, okay? Uh, or just to some extent what's happening at the New York Times, which I admit is very disturbing uh, in a lot of ways, okay? Uh, within opinion journalism and stuff, let's say, uh, uh other matters. Okay, so look. I think, it, what if we thought of it this way? We're going to turn over the magazine to black interpretations of the role of slavery in American history. Okay. Now, um, I'm not, again, there might be a false sentence or two in that package or whatever it is, or you might not like the emphasis, right? Like the, the idea That the basic American, uh, American culture in a way maybe was founded with the, at the beginning of slavery. Now that's an incredibly provocative and it has been incredible, people have been incredibly provoked by that thesis or however you want to describe that. The founding was in 1619 with the first importation of slaves not in 1776. You, know,
0: you, know, you, you, you do know that they're all like backpedaling now and saying that that wasn't the thesis and that the New York Times yes. has actually gone backwards and erased. I do. That doesn't make you I, suspicious at all?
1: It makes me quite suspicious. I mean, like, I think it's a complicated terrain. But I also <laughs> think that that is a, it's a provocative and fascinating thesis. And I don't think you're going to get it from Sean Wilentz, right? Well, you're not going to
0: get it from credible historians. That's the point. I mean, that gets to part of what we're going to talk about, and that is that we're not supposed to think that this sort of racial identity now trumps actual expertise in the subject, right? Actual scholarly expertise in the subject, because scholarly historians have pretty much thoroughly rejected this thesis.
1: There are scholarly historians involved. Not very Uh, many. (laughs) The the, the numbers are not good,
0: Crispin. The numbers don't look good. The well, thesis. I didn't,
1: I haven't done a statistical analysis. It might break it might break down by race to some extent, right? Uh, now that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now that that would be interesting, right? Yeah, but it so doesn't. I, I, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. I, no, that's true too. Actually, I've seen some black critique. Glenn Lowry
0: the, is like part of a whole yeah. group of black scholars, right, historians, yeah. and stuff who are saying this is this is this is yes. just this is just ideological history. It's not Fair. right. Okay. Anyway, Fair go on. I don't want to get right. in, in the weeds of that. Go on.
1: Right. Now, I, yeah, and, and like I say, maybe I'm not doing my uh, the standpoint a lot of good by associating it with this. But I just I was just reading it over the last few days for the first time. It's I think there's a lot of good, really good stuff in it actually, and a lot of good history in it. And it and it twisting the frame around like that. Um, even though you know nothing, no particular fact actually like was that shocking or whatever. Uh, like changing the the point of view from which we are narrating it changed my sense of it a little bit, and I think that it's I don't think it's entirely implausible, and I don't think that that's actually quite a factual
0: thesis a question. You're right. You know, that's, like when the founding it, of the country yeah. is not really yeah, yeah, is yeah. not really an empirical yeah. question. You're right.
1: No, that's right, and and yeah. so I think like that showed. It shows the value, but it shows like not the, in some ways it shows the value and it shows the problems that arise. But if you recenter who's giving the narrative, you're liable to change the narrative. Yeah, And definitely like if you're trying to, like a room full of men dealing with gender issues. The classic Supreme Court problem before uh, Sandra Day O'Connor or something like this. Like, okay, here's nine guys going to decide on abortion questions or something like this. Now, do they understand what abortion means in the life of a woman? Not yet, man. Not until women can tell their stories and stuff like this, right? And hopefully actually get sit down on the Supreme Court and maybe tell people about this, you know? Um, like Ginsberg. So like, and of course it depends on the issue in all this. I wouldn't trust a a bunch of white people on race. Like the, you know, the white science on race in the 19th century or in 1950 was horrendous, man, because there was no check on it. You know what I mean? It was, it was um, running, you know, it's had a runaway self-serving quality.
0: It right, was unconscious. Let's get it. Let's let's because you're a lot of things are getting bundled together, and 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 I want to I want to I want to examine each of them in peace. So let's 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 actually look at the elements of of standpoint theory. Um um, and let me let me ask, challenge you in various ways. Okay, so I mean, here's the first thing that 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 uh, that I wonder about. Right. So standpoint theory, according to standpoint theory. Epistemic privilege, both with regard to questions of value and questions of fact, um, uh, is, is positively or negatively affected by one's racial, sex, identity, etc. Okay? So, so the idea is, okay, marginalized people with respect to X are better positioned epistemically both in terms of uh, understanding of the value implications of whatever it is, and with regard to the facts. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah. the, first, the first thing I want to interrogate. Okay. It is not all at all obvious to me. So let's take, there's two people, right? There's the member of the dominant class who benefits from the state of affairs. Right? Right. So they're, they're, they're happy and, how shall I say, endorsing, right? Then there's the oppressed person who resents the current state of affairs, who dislikes it, who's against it. Okay. I see Mm -hmm. no reason whatsoever to think that appreciation is a more epistemically distorting position than resentment. Indeed, I could easily see an argument to be made that resentment is more distorting, and therefore that the oppressed person actually has a less clear view Okay. than a more clear view. Now, that may not be the case, but that's mm-hmm. an empirical question, and I am not seeing a damn thing. Okay. Empirical evidence-wise to tell me that black people have more, on average, have more true beliefs about X, Y, and Z regarding racism than anybody else, and I would be skeptical that you could even conduct such a study, which tells me right. – The hypothesis is, 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 is unrefutable. Okay.
1: Okay. It's one of the, it's
0: it's an ideological proposition. It's not a philosophical one that I can actually engage with in any sort of serious way.
1: Okay. I, first of all, I do think American black people know more about American racism than American white people. Why should resentment
0: be less distorting than appreciation?
1: Okay. All right. Let me give you an example. Uh, got masters in, you know, enslavers yeah. in slavery, okay? Um, and they express appreciation for slavery, right? They're benefiting from it, and they defend it. Right. And they enjoy it. Right. Okay? Now, you have Frederick Douglass, who's an enslaved person. Who understands slavery more clearly? you know, or who at least expresses their understanding more clearly who really knows what slavery is. John C Calhoun, you know, who's like, you know, portraying like a, a a happy, uh, you know, cooperative society where everyone benefits or uh, Frederick Douglass, who's actually been whipped. Okay. For learning to read, you know, now, he understands the reality of slavery and his voice functioned to expose the reality of slavery in a way that no white person was in a position to do, to testify to the reality of slavery. Okay. And I say like the, now resentment is potentially distorting and appreciation is potentially distorting, but okay. The standpoint structure indicates that, systemically, systematically, features of the oppressive system are concealed from people
0: who benefit from that. What I'm saying is that that is ostensibly an empirical claim for which I see no empirical evidence. And all I get are anecdotes. And and I'm going to give you my own anecdote that points in the opposite direction. Okay. Frederick Douglass and slave owners, that's easy, man. Yeah. Let me give you some. Let me give you some. Let me give you some in the opposite direction. All right, that point in the opposite direction. So my point just is: is ostensibly this is an empirical claim, for which no evidence has been provided. Wait a minute. If it's not an empirical claim, then how, how intuitive is intuitive appeal? Then it's an intuitive appeal, and I don't see any reason intuitively to think that appreciation is more distorting than resentment. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you a case that points in the opposite direction. Okay. Good. Right. So. This is a very common experience for people um from my community, right? So, you know, there are only a few places in the country where there is a high concentration of Jewish people. Everywhere else, you're kind of a, a tiny minority, as a matter of fact, much smaller than a black minority or a, or Hispanic minority. In Springfield, Missouri, there are far more blacks and Hispanics than there are Jews. Okay. Yeah. Typically sure in such places, maybe there's one synagogue, there's one place where the Jews sort of congregate, okay? And there's no question that in a town like this, um, being Jewish is a serious social disadvantage, all right? Um, my God you know, I had to go through, did you leave?
1: No, I'm coming back, okay. I'm sorry.
0: Um, my cat, my cat th-
1: is yelling at the window, so. I sorry. had to
0: go through, you know, a childhood with my, a tearful, in childhood with my daughter in which she's coming home and telling me that kids are telling her they can't be friends with her because she's not a Christian. She's coming home and having been been made to sing like religious Christmas songs in school, the whole yeah. nine yards. I'm not trying to make a pity party. I'm just trying to give you a sense of the context, okay? Yeah. All right. So this is the context. And very commonly what happens is, in the Jewish enclave, so you you all gather around in the synagogue or whatever. The perception of anti-Semitism is, how shall I say, hyperbolic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Every we see there is anti-Semitism everywhere. We see it everywhere. Everything is interpreted as anti-Semitic. The most harmless nothing in the world is magnified now out of all proportion. Um, right. people this are accused happen. of being anti-Semites. Right, I. If you ask me, hey Dan, does the average, you know, sort of mild-mannered uh, uh, Presbyterian walking down the street in Springfield, Missouri? Have a better or worse perception of the amount of actual anti-Semitism in Springfield, Missouri, than the people at at Temple Israel. I, being a member of Temple Israel, will tell you the the Presbyterian guy walking down the street. Absolutely, one hundred percent. We are seeing anti-Semites under every single fucking bed and in every single closet, and we are okay, magnifying. Okay. We are magnifying every experience out of all proportion, right? And okay, I would that's, be truthful if I told you that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't
0: tell me that's not common.
1: All right. Now, it is common. And the other thing is, though, the way you started that out, though, did, you know, what's what happened to your daughter, for example, did indicate that there might be anti-Semitic s- situations
0: Absolutely, in that culture. Absolutely, but that doesn't mean in, that she in, is In a, a, a way that the
1: average Presbyterian wouldn't acknowledge at all, right?
0: But it doesn't like, mean like that doesn't she doesn't even doesn't, know. But it doesn't mean that she has a clearer view of it.
1: Uh, I, well, I think potentially, like, you have resources for understanding, uh, a clear understanding of, of the anti-Semitism there. Yeah. But I definitely, any particular, so let, let's start with, the, you know, let me pull back for a second on standpoint. Um, the idea is that all knowledge is from some standpoint. Okay. Let's start with that. Like, there, there's no, unsituated knowledge. Every piece of knowledge is someone's, some group or some individual's uh, piece of knowledge. There's no standpointless perspective. Okay. And so then, and, and, and a lot of these standpoint epistemologists take themselves to be kinds of objectivists, really. And they're talking about maybe even assembling standpoints, as a way to expose the uh, the objective truth, because no no single standpoint is entirely trustworthy uh, in this regard, because everyone has its you know distortions. You know, everyone is well suited to expose some sorts of facts, and and actually probably depends on repressing others. Each standpoint now, but. And so it's potentially almost symmetrical, right? Like different standpoints have different epistemic resources and different epistemic disabilities. And potentially resentment is epistemically disabling, especially at a, at a certain point. But I guess the, 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 like the political oomph of the standpoint thing is like there is a systemic difference in these things, just at least in understanding the actual structures of oppression. And these might have actual other implications. So, for example, Don- Donna Haraway, um, she, when she got started with this, it was exposing what had gone wrong with primatology, where like a, almost 100% white male scientific community went and basically found 50s dating behavior in chimpanzee communities all over Africa, right? Like, a, you know, found that, that the, the female chimps kind of sat back and selected among the males who were showing off for her and stuff like this. And that turned to, out to be just a complete like, uh, distortion really of the observations, you know? And she demonstrated that and actually many others did too. But so the, it, the, you know, the, and the fact that they were doing that, that they were distorting their own resor- research in this way, was invisible to this unanimous community of, uh, you know, heterosexual dudes or whatever. Uh, and, you know, so if they'd had a few female voices rolling through there, they might have done better on this, you know? I, I, so that's a sort of common sense, you know, or practical, or I don't know if it's empirical, but it, at least you can... Roll the examples, I suppose, or something. Well,
0: you can roll the examples, but the question is whether they, whether there's any, any sort of real valence that they point towards. And what I'm saying is, look, if the claim is an empirical claim, then I want to see the evidence. I want to see the evidence that X's have more true beliefs about things pertaining to this than Y's do. And I, as far as I'm concerned, I, there's no such evidence that I can, that I can see from any of the standpoint stuff I've read. Now, if it's not meant to be, what, I mean, what do you want? Then it comes down. Well, th- th- listen, that's the you, kind do of want, survey data about, that sociologists take all the time. Let's all right, see well, so, it. how
1: about we poll? How about we poll on the criminal justice system? Okay, all right, I mean, if we did that ten years ago or whatever,
0: yeah, and, but, you well, know, and, or remember, we're talking about epistemic privilege with respect to questions of value and questions of fact okay so let we have to split them up right okay um um what i'm going to suggest is that with regard to questions of value resentment and appreciation are equally distorting and it's going to depend on the individual cases which is more okay okay with regard to matters of fact i'm going to reject the idea that position trump's standard conceptions of professional expertise, all right? Now, in the absence of those two, I see no room left for the damn thing, okay? I just don't. And so what it winds up becoming is a hardball, brass knuckles political weapon is what it becomes, and this is why I dislike it, all right? This is really what it comes down to. So I want to interrogate the merits of it because if there are merits to it, I'm going to accept it, Crispin, right? If there are merits to it, I'm going to accept it. Um, um but what I'm seeing it to me it's just a way to to fight dirty. It's just a method of dirty fighting in the political arena and that I don't accept right, right. I do not accept it, that so right now
1: it's yeah it it, it, okay it shouldn't say straight up that um identity like being in a certain group or whatever trumps pr- expertise. Okay. Like it it shouldn't do that. That, that would be a mistake. Okay. Um, With regard to matters of fact. Yes. Okay. Okay. Definitely. Um, it It might raise suspicions about expertise. That is the way who, what, who's the kind of person that gets, you know, first of all, rises in the hierarchies or the bureaucracies to be acknowledged as an expert, and from what standpoint, if there is no standpoint-less standpoint, uh, do they speak? And so these standpoint epistemologists talk about the construction of the neutral observer, and I think you are postulating such an observer, you know, when you say that, uh, you know, you want, uh, I don't know, statistical evidence on this or whatever, like, um, well, I want you know, if if a,
0: if a claim is – if a, if a, if the claim is being made that is empirical, then I want evidence, right? Right. All
1: right. So if a claim exper- that's being made expertise, you're not. I, I think you're like not allowed to just lean on a simple concept of expertise because that also is in question here. Well, but I
0: don't think maybe. anyone. Yeah.
1: Maybe. So who gets credentialed? Who gets credentialed? And but this is not to say like like you know you could be entirely ignorant of some area and just be a member of a certain Group and so that your pronouncements, you know, uh, your half assed pronouncements should count more than, you know, uh, Look, a with professor. Re, with regard like, to who mat- gets to
0: be a professor. With regard see, to matters of fact, all right, Let, so let's put the question of values aside. Here's what I'm getting at with regard to matters of fact um, I am the son of Holocaust survivors, okay? I've had endless, endless conversations with people who were in concentration camps, Right. Who's, who were subjected to mass deportation, who were subjected to, you know, forcible starvation, all this stuff. All I have to do is talk to my mother, okay? Um, I, 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 you know, I, I'm the son of somebody who was, who was a child soldier, who was essentially at war when he was 15 years old. I, I, okay, all of that, right? Now, if you asked me, do you have more expertise with regard to matters of fact concerning German anti-Semitism in the Holocaust than a Gentile Holocaust scholar. My answer is absolutely not. Right, okay. Okay? Now, in my opinion, the way I'm seeing standpoint epistemology de- deployed in actual discourse, that is exactly what's being asserted about black people, about LGBT plus QIA, whatever the hell it is, about all of this sort of stuff. I'm seeing exactly that claim made. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm a trans person and I have more epistemic privilege over a goddamn person who's, 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 who's an MD and who's done all of his scholarly research in sex and gender, right? Um, um, to the point to which, you know, we're gonna, you know, the testimony of such people is gonna cause those people to lose their credentials or lose their licenses or no longer be taken seriously in the discourse, right? So uh, what I'm saying is I see no reason to think that my standpoint makes me more expert with respect to the relevant matters of fact than someone who is credentialed in the traditional way that we've always been right. doing for the last freaking several hundred years, all right? So again, right. So, um, I don't period, buy... the, period of,
1: the classical period of racism and sexism, man. And, so uh, that's let me fit, that's let me...
0: fine as a slogan, but it does not respond to the specific point that right. I just made about okay, my own me... expertise.
1: Yes. Let, let me try the trans example. Just running some. Uh, well,
0: why don't you, stuff you do mine? It. Can you explain in what sense I know more about the Holocaust than a guy who that's his professional area of research? He's been doing it for thirty years. He's written books. You, you know and, a lot and,
1: more about what it was like.
0: Really than he does, despite the fact that he's got 20 hours of footage, let's say the Showa documentary, of interviewing and doing research and finding documents and going to the damn places, okay? And maybe right. interviewing the Germans who were yeah, involved okay. in it. I don't think that I have better understanding of that either. I don't. You're
1: disintegrating into your background, which is uh, kind
0: of interesting. But what I'm saying is uh, I don't think I have more expertise with regard to right. any of those okay, things. Okay, fair enough. All right. Do the trans one if you want. I just didn't want you to avoid my case because I'm saying I don't have standpoint expertise. I'm denying it to myself, Crispin. And I could claim it. I could claim discursive advantage in all sorts of conversations. I do not because I don't believe I have it.
1: What, what role do you think Jewish scholars and Jewish voices have had in conveying the reality of the Holocaust and, and preserving it uh, in this, you know, and, you know, uh, I think it's awfully central. So I think that's kind of similar, for example, to black voices dealing with slavery in the 1619 p- project, for example. Now, OK, so here's something that a trans person might see about uh, the doctors who have spent their whole careers on uh, gathering statistics on gender and so on.
0: And that Listen, is, listening.
1: yeah, so uh, uh, this is interesting. Like, who has the best point of view on gender? I can sort of see an argument that a trans person uh, has a pretty good standpoint on this. And one, like, so one thing you might point out, a trans person might point out to this doctor, who might not even be conscious of this quite unbelievably, is that the doctor himself has a gender identity that he is himself speaking from a particular point of view that his gender identity gives him stakes of all sorts psychological and even financial in how the uh research comes out it structures at every stage what he notices and what the whole community fails to notice so that pretty soon you've got a whole body of objective gender science provided by all, you know, like cisgender people and kind of like emphasizing, for example, the naturalness of the gender binary and the inevitability of it and hence the, uh, the sort of unnaturalness of the, of its violation and so on. You know, similarly with race science. Like I, I've just been teaching this uh, piece by Frederick Douglass, where he dismantles the race science of 1854. You know, and this is an objective discourse. It's you know these are trained scholars that are rolling Germany and France with and England with their theories that there are four or five races and that they have different cranial capacities, different moral proclivities. And they think they've just demonstrated this empirically. And what Frederick Douglass says is, you know what? Every bit of that literature is self-congratulation, actually. I'd be suspicious on, on that to begin with. Okay. Like that would make you at least go, like, okay, conflict of interest. So let's 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 now let's dismantle the research from that point of view. You know? But you're gonna have to dismantle the research. It's not enough to go like You know, I'm black or whatever, and you know, so you're wrong. You know, it has to be an actual epistemic exchange. But the claim is that like there's, they're liable Frederick Douglass or whomever is liable to have, or a trans person maybe even. I haven't really run this through standpoint epistemology. Um, is liable to have resources, possibilities that they can see that would contribute to a more potentially more a fuller and more accurate picture if it's fed into empirical procedures and so on you know
0: okay let's um let's let's uh move on to uh, another another thing i'm wondering about um all of this so far has been about whether standpoints actually convey epistemic advantage i'm very dubious that they do you're more you're you're more you're more inclined to think that they do um um but now I want to raise a different question. And that is, I don't think that standpoints have any determinate valence, right? Um, what winds up happening, it seems to me, yeah. is that yeah. the standpoints that people claim for these groups are simply the ones that are the stand, are the views of the members of those groups that they already agree with, right? So if somebody says to you, in a progressive race conversation, right? Let's center Black voices in this conversation. Yeah. Which Black voices are they going to center? They're yes. not going to center Shelby Steele, Glenn Lowry, and Thomas Sowell, Okay, sure. they're going to center Ibrahim, whatever his name is, and Jones and all these other people. Right now, yes. what's 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 the Black standpoint on race? Thomas Souls or Hannah Hannah? What's her face? Nicole Jones, which one is the black standpoint, Crispin?
1: Well, I guess I, you know, uh, they're
0: contradictory. They can't both be the black right. standpoint. So which one is the black standpoint?
1: Well, they are standpoints, both of they're both standpoints of black people.
0: Right. But which is the uh, one that should be centered in our discourse? And why? You know, I,
1: and I, I don't want to go majoritarian on this. Or something well, of like course, like but a, that's
0: what they're going to want to yes. say, right? But know, of course, you can I see know. why that would be a disaster, right? Um, um, um. So right. what? What? What and, is supposed to be the valence of these standpoints? Because I don't believe there are any, and I think with every population, there are some very, very strong trans voices that reject yes. categorically. Yes. this whole gender fluidity thing they say no i am a male i am a female i am right. i am dysphoric and i'm trying the best i can to live as the opposite sex but yeah. that doesn't make me it right um um so Completely. i want to know who's i want to know what the valence of a standpoint is supposed to be who decides what it is and therefore which voices from the standpoint are going to be the ones that we center
1: Absolutely. And, and this is really like a serious and totally practical problem. And like, it, this has really been a problem in the uh feminist movement and the anti-racism movement. Okay. Who speaks for us? Right. Right. So like unbelievable struggles on this in the feminist movement, right? Like, you know, black women's voices or, you know, uh uh anti-abortion feminists or uh you know and disqualifying people look at the current secret su- look at the current
0: supreme nom- court nominee yeah. and what uh-huh. people i cannot believe yes. the kind of sexist attacks on her from people who are supposedly would be the first ones to jump on board of feminist of a female Completely. standpoint right so yeah. so so
1: right and and Yes. And then you start getting into some really problematic shit where, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, Barrett, what's her name? Amy Coney Barrett is uh, suffering from false consciousness and stuff like this. You know, she's taking up a male standpoint, right? Because she's been polluted. Right. And that's a Marx, that's a Marxist, uh, move. Right. So so, so how does,
0: how does this not simply so pollute this whole approach to discourse as so that it's it's salvageable. I, yes. Okay. So the way I guess I try. What do try you to think of it? Is, Let, let's now talk about an idealization. I'm not going to saddle you with with fixing the world. So tell me how intellectually you could see us preserving the 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 ideas of behind standpoint that you like and overcoming right. this kind of problem.
1: Right. Okay. So I think that you know. It, it you can take it atomist atomistically in a way and like in some ways each individual has their own standpoint and I think that should be acknowledged. Um and you know, but then I think you've got to acknowledge that there's some commonality of experience among to some extent members of the same community, the same neighborhood in, in a place where race is as enforced as it has been in the U.S., in the, in, there's some, it, we've got to acknowledge that there is, uh, there are commonalities as well as differences, but the, these group identities as enforced socially do shape characteristic Styles of individual experience, like if you grew up in Jim Crow segregation in the South or something like that, you know what I mean? Like you have experience in common with a lot of people. Uh, now, you may disagree on the interpretation of that experience. And I think that's who counts as in the group and what views or who speaks for the group and stuff like this. If anybody does these are constantly flowing contested things. And I think if your wish was that these groups would disintegrate rather than coalesce, you know what I mean? Like, and, and have less power through the whole culture because they divide us horribly. Uh, I think that'd be rational. Right. And I, and I think that if you worry that th- things like standpoint would have the opposite effect, that they'll attempt to, or you can't even articulate them because you violate people's
0: yes i mean that's um, listen my worry my, my worry is that that standpoint theory is part of a is part of a bundle of ideas <laughs> that are contradictory to the basic values of the enlightenment and for all of its flaws i think that that's the only place where any sort of salvation for decent society is going to lie right otherwise we're, gonna, we're otherwise we're going to fucking turn into yugoslavia and we're doing we're turning into yugoslavia right now and it's not I being see. helped. It's not being helped. It's being exacerbated by this way of thinking. And all that's happened is now that the white people are now doing it too. Okay? Right? I mean, the, the white people now, they're now, they, they, they yes. you know, this is the standpoint of epistemology is the greatest gift to Trumpers that I could ever imagine. Right? Because, you know, what, they're just going to jump on the train. Right?
1: You mean as critics or, or just with their own identity?
0: Listen, okay. I already have in my university evangelical Christians, right, who are absolutely completely dominant in this in this town, right, but who are not dominant culturally in the and and the university campus. Okay. Yes, I've already got and have concrete examples of evangelical Christians. Playing this game in the opposite direction, saying yes. they're being discriminated against, saying they're being disadvantaged in the yes. classroom by liberal professors. We even had a lawsuit, Crispin, okay. where a social work program was trying to make its students do in labs what social workers actually do, one of which involved something to do with gay couples uh, accessing social services. An evangelical student objected that this was that this was um, punishing her and discriminate, forcing her to violate her conscience, and she won a freaking lawsuit against the university. Okay, so, so well, all that I'm saying is that, look, in my view, whatever credibility and good ideas there are to this are so outweighed by the damage it's doing to an already very tattered enlightenment ideal that we're, that we're trying to operate under that it is the worst possible thing we could be doing right now. Right. Right now, what we should be fighting for is dispassion, not increased passion. What we should be fighting for is, um, um, being skeptical about one's own point of view, not assuming it's correct. Right. In other words, all the basic values that you learn in every goddamn 101 critical thinking class right, is the opposite is the opposite of what standpoint theory tells you to do the opposite
1: uh, all right well i think that's i mean that, that's a little too simplistic i think like the way sandra Hart avoid right? motivated
0: thinking what right. the hell is standpoint epistemology right. it is to lionize motivated thinking all right
1: no it, it uh, i think we exchanged something like this on twitter <laughs> it is to expose motivated thinking Like the motivated thinking. Only the other guys.
0: Only the other guys, not your own. Yeah. Okay. True. Uh,
1: Right. Uh, Someone else is going to have to expose yours, I guess, probably. But you You are not not allowed to uh, because you're epistemically
0: uh, positioned lower than them.
1: Okay. But let me say one thing. I am suspicious of enlightenment values in many ways. And I do think they have fed in interesting ways an era of racism and sexism. We did a whole dialogue about racism.
0: Yeah, we did a whole yes, dialogue. On and, that. Yeah. Yes,
1: but I also see why you're attracted to him, and and, and see why you think it's the last guardian of uh, you know decency too. Because I see, I think that individual rights concept, for example, uh, is is got to be centralized in a lot of ways. But anyway, yeah. Um, but there is a profound or like a very pointed attack on the Enlightenment, and if we want to think about it this way in standpoint epistemology. So because there's an attack on this neutral point of view, there's an attack on the possibility of unmotivated thinking. Like here it, it coincides with some of the sociology of science stuff like the Bruno Latour where, you know, like we start saying like, well, here are the funding mechanisms that led to this research. Okay. Here's how the self-interest of the researchers was reflected in the results though they were quite certain that they were, uh, neutral, uh, you know, scientists or whatever, uh, science is a human activity. Okay. And, and, you know, uh, knowledge is a, a, like I said earlier, like always somebody's knowledge. Now we can start arguing about what role group identities play in that. And it might be, you know, too much in some way. I mean, it's too much right now, I think in some ways.
0: Like I think the you, have, I think it's also – listen, I listed a bunch of things that I think are characteristic of our current times, all of which it seems to me the only possible solution to is something alike in enlightenment values and of which standpoint is the worst thing you could do. So let me just list them, okay? We're currently char- characterized by polarization, loss of faith in institutions, and especially those that confer or involve expertise and authority, right? We no longer believe experts, right? Why? Partly because I, they've politically compromised themselves by taking these kinds of stands, right? Well, I think we,
1: be- we better be suspicious of so-called experts. I mean, I'm going the other way on this one, man. So you like, think – I'm not taking the Harvard faculty and going like, uh-huh, whatever you say, man. But, uh, but wait a minute. Uh, but the yeah.
0: opposite – but what's the op- – I mean, the problem is is that we've swung in the opposite direction, right? So to where now, now – People aren't don't trust don't don't trust medical experts, right? Because you know they they came out and said, yeah, you know you know it's fine to spread coronavirus so long as you're doing it for a politically viable cause, right? Otherwise, remember they signed all these yeah. these, these they signed a letter a protest yeah.
1: All right. Well, no. and, but that's only one reason why we're doubting medical experts, because are, <clears throat> a lot of them are trying to serve Trump or, uh, you know, or compromise with uh, Trump's views on the virus or something. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons. But that's typical you know, of experts. They're a motivated, man. Uh, and they're human and yeah, they have the, a particular standpoint uh, and they and there might be white guys you know the point is, okay, what is especially it, if you're writing in
0: the 80s yeah but, Chris, but the point is the point is what is it that you are endeavoring or what is the ideal you're striving towards not what is the one you accomplish because you don't accomplish any ideal the question is what are you striving towards right and <clears throat> It seems to me that a time, in a time of polarization, in a time of mutual antipathy, in a time when nobody trusts each other and nobody trusts any authorities or experts, one should be aiming at greater objectivity, greater dispassion, more self-doubt, not less, okay? Yes. And what st- everything that standpoint theory tells us to do is the opposite of those things. I,
1: I disagree with that, though. Uh, Like If you wanted to sort of get a standpoint ideal. My
0: position should be privileged over the other guys. That's what it is.
1: Okay. If you wanted to get like an overall epistemic sort of standpoint ideal, it's people from many standpoints having input into how we're interpreting the data or how the basic categories are being articulated that we bring to the data. And stuff like this, like it would be a dialogic model where yeah. different standpoints are in dialogue and acknowledging each other's strengths and each other's disabilities or something like that. Now, it's not really it's not being used that way right now, usually, although there are, you know, there's a lot of talk about dialogue and, and bringing people together to speak or whatever. Uh, but I don't think that um it, it's not that kind of irrationalism, I guess. I don't think uh, it's I mean, in Harding's mode or Haraway's mode, they're trying to reconstruct. They think of themselves as realists about the world and they're trying to reconstruct a sort of objectivity by assembling of various standpoints on the same data set. Uh, yeah, and including articulating the basic concepts that we bring to the uh, set of experiences, or something like that.
0: I and mean, look, maybe, maybe we just just to sort of fundamentally disagree at a bit at a more basic level. But to my mind, if you describe the situation to me as follows, well, say, look, we're at a time now when when people hate each other's fucking guts, okay, and yeah. and don't trust each other, and yeah. don't trust any neutral, don't trust neutral, so called neutral parties. Now, what should we do about that? Um, It seems to me my answer would be we should caution people to beware the distorting influence of their own perspective. Yes. What standpoint epistemology instructs us to do is the opposite. It's to identify the distorting influence of the other guy's perspective and to privilege one's own perspective. That is exactly the opposite of what I would advise people to do when everybody hates each other. Okay, can I say what it yes, say, it had
1: say. On, yeah. Yeah, yeah, can I say what effect it, it had on me? Sure. Um, it made me much more self-critical. And, and I guess now we're in a, uh, uh, a moment of white self-criticality. and I bet these are not terms that you love, but um, so <laughs> like, like for me, I was not able, to believe of myself that I was a sexist until I was in dialogue with these kind of texts and a woman who pointedly taught them to me. Okay. Uh, and um I since then I've been seeing the layer upon layers of sexism in my head that I had no idea about really just growing up an American boy in the seventies, you know what I mean? Like I didn't have any particular
0: example.
1: (laughs) I think the, the way I treated women for much of my life had a lot of like real fucked up gender shit in it. And I think I will never quite understand it all, but you know, like just the way I, uh, the way I leered at women for much of my life, you know, just like, I mean, not that I, you know, uh, or just, uh, the way I objectified women, you know what I mean? Like, or just, uh, and the way at times I have treated women, like I needed to be called on that. And I, and I couldn't have provided that for myself and neither could my male friends have provided it for me. Like I wrote my book act like, you know, in the nineties and, I was trying to peel back and understand whether I was a racist. I was a, a white guy, as I identified socially, I guess, or whatever, in a mostly black city. And I, you know, so the approach I thought I needed to take, and I think I learned a lot this way, was by examining black, what black people had said about white people, including people like Douglas, Zora Neale Hurston, Malcolm X. You know um, Du Bois, and um, it made me conscious of my social location and my belief set. It made me much more self-critical about many attitudes, even visceral, seemingly in you know involuntary responses I had to black people and stuff like this. Like it's it induced a lot of self-reflection in me. But maybe you're saying it. it, it induces the opposite of self-reflection in uh, uh, the people whose standpoints are supposedly privileged in this structure. But, well, uh, uh
0: yes, I would say that. And B, I would point out to you that, you know, um, if I picked a different group of black intellectuals to have you encounter, um, you would have come to a very different conclusion.
1: I tried to read, like, comprehensively an African-American autobiography. And, and you know, including... Because, you know,
0: Shelby Steele is going to reject an awful lot of the narrative that you just described. Um, 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 uh, Thomas Sowell is going to reject a lot of the narrative that you just described. Glenn Lowry is going to reject a lot of the narrative that you just described. <clears throat> I'm talking not, about me. Right. What, what I'm saying is they're going to reject your your, your self-flagellation um, as, as an expression of something... That they think would take seriously or think is 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 warranted, right? Um, now, listen. I don't know how much of a racist you were. All that I'm saying is that <clears throat> I, had, I, I had a it's lot telling of to me that the people you all listed all all, all pretty much point in a single direction.
1: No, no. I if you like Zora Neil Hurston's politics,
0: I didn't hear Zora Neal. Like, I didn't hear that one in your list. I'm yeah, sorry. Well,
1: I don't know if I said Zora. She was a central <laughs> figure. Or even Malcolm X's politics are not like straight up leftist or something, at least not until maybe the very last phase.
0: No, uh, but they're, but, but, but look, they're gonna, they're all gonna embrace <clears throat> a kind of very strong version of the systemic racism narrative that a lot of, of, of black um, dissenting thinkers are going re- to say is wildly overstated, right? Um, 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 and I don't have a personal view on this. It's not a major area of interest of mine. All that I'm saying is that I'm not – look, I'm not hearing anything that really, in my view, engages strongly with the sort of the the relevant the, – the, the various criticisms that I've made. I've not heard anything that really – overwhelms the point uh, that, that, that I find and overwhelms the point regarding the, the equally potentially distorting influences of resentment and and appreciation. I don't see anything you know you agreed you concurred on the issue of expertise with regard to matters of fact that standpoints don't grant you, grant you anything that necessarily overrides something that one could acquire through the traditional ways of acquiring expertise. And that is scholarly. No, no. I, I,
1: I think there are things that you can acquire from certain standpoints that you can't acquire by expertise.
0: I, or, regarding uh, matters or, or, or of fact, it, regarding matters of fact, not yes, matters of I mean, value, matters on, of fact.
1: Well, yes, depending on what you count as matter, matter of fact. I mean, you can master all the statistics, but I'm also going to query the basic categories that you're bringing to the statistics. But anyway, uh, yeah. But like I say, like also facts about what it's like one end or another, but I don't know if that's a matter of fact or it's not quite a matter of value or I don't know. Uh, it's the kind of data that might be relevant to understanding the racial situation in the U S or something like that, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but I mean, I see, I see what you're saying.
0: And, do you, yeah, and let me I, I, ask you honestly, um, let's let's put aside the intellectual merits of it for a second, okay? Do you think that this sort of thing is good for us right now? In the situation we find ourselves in, horribly polarized, we've got a president who polarizes everything a thousand times more just by his awful, horrific, God- yeah. God-forsaken behavior. Um, <clears throat> Right at each other's throats, the major news yeah. organs have lost a lot of credibility because they've been either caught in various scandals or they've engaged in behavior that makes people question their objectivity in in even the reasonable sense not the not the utopian sense of objectivity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is what we need now standpoint or is what we need now a a a a plea to return to some effort to to, to 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 return to some sort of enlightenment values, I, I don't know. I, to me, if to me, I say the same thing about the enlightenment or liberalism as I do about dem, as Churchill said about democracy. It's the worst political philosophy, except for all the others, right? As flawed as as conceptions of neutrality and objectivity and all that it is, they're fucking better than Yugoslavia. Okay.
1: Okay. <clears throat> if those are the options, though, that's a uh... So but uh, I that's why I'm asking: but, but, Is this
0: what we need now, or is this just going to hasten our turning yes. into Yugoslavia?
1: Well, I, you know, like early, early, or on in this particular phase, like in the race thing, I, I was very hopeful about this, just in the sense that I do think like a moment of white self reflection is really needed. I mean, I like I say, I was I was kind of rolling down this road in the '90s in a similar way. Uh, but at this point, I'm a little skeptical, first of all, how effective it's actually going to be, uh, you know, in ameliorating the I, I certainly believe in structural racism, the structure or the systemic racism that we're in. Uh, it might not have great effects, ultimately. And yes, it's leading to um, I mean, I guess there's conflicts within leftism, for example, along these lines, you know, uh, in the Biden coalition kind of, you know. Um yes it's polarizing in various ways i I would worry about the alternatives though for recoalescing like I, I don't want to think about it like as sort of like just a reimposition of structures of epistemic authority as they existed previous to this because I think there's important aspects of this, but yes it's it is one of the things having polarizing effects uh, right now in a world that really is kind of exploding uh, I'm,
0: I, I am not and would never want to saddle standpoint theory with our disintegration I am not saying that standpoint yeah, theory yeah, yeah. Is turning us into Yugoslavia that's <laughs> I think ridiculous and unfair right I right,
1: think it's kind of balkanizing right? what I'm like saying is as yeah.
0: if you are in the process of turning into Yugoslavia is standpoint uh-huh. theory the way to, to prevent it and I, what I'm saying is I don't see how that is if are if you're training into Yugoslavia, the lad the worst thing you could possibly do is tell anyone that their viewpoint is beyond criticism or privileged. Right? Anyone. Right. Okay. And I don't
1: I don't want to yeah, I, I don't I don't think these the, the, the thoughtful standpoint of cosmologists would say that, you know, that anyone's position is above criticism.
0: Yeah, well but, look, uh, and, and that's why I said I'm not really criticizing an idealized yeah. version. And right. I'm not satellizing the theorists with the current and I'm not going on saying, you know, Rebecca yeah. Kukla, you're turning America into Yugoslavia. I right, and I'm not defending
1: that. all. And I'm not defending all the
0: effects. No, and I know you're not. I know you're not. Not all the expressions. I know you're yes. not. I know you're not. Um, um, you know whether or not there is some useful, purely in the intellectual academic sphere, notion of standpoint epistemically, I will grant is probably still an open question. Although I do really have questions about both the value side that's the stuff about resentment versus appreciation just being distorting and i do have questions on the on the matter of fact side but i do think it's still an open question because some of the examples you give obviously are you know commonsensical right i mean
1: yeah and there's been a lot of work on this and and there's and there 's still work to do, you know, even even giving a coherent sense of what a a single standpoint is or a singular or a coherent standpoint is, or, yeah you know, or what these groups are
0: yeah i mean but i, I don 't think it's maybe it can 't be done i don 't think though right that it is doing us any good in terms of the way it 's being practically deployed on the ground in discursive spaces. Um, 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 ah. It's just making people even more hostile to each other. I think it's having mixed effects.
1: Yeah, you know, like, uh, but yes, I, where, I, I see why you
0: say that. I'd love to, if you if you can point me quickly somewhere where you think it's having a good effect on the ground. Right. I'd I love to I, hear it.
1: Maybe we should finish this up anyway. But I'm I'm bring it back to the 1619 project. I think it's a good. I think it's got a lot of good work in it. I also think some of the effects were just disastrous. You so you know? think, like, do you think? But you
0: think it is having some good effects on ground level discourse?
1: I do. I and even even with regards to the disagreements, right? Like I think like sh- hearing Sean R- Wilentz or whoever it may be, uh, you know, black or white, reflecting on this and kind of replying to it is actually a very good exercise too. You know, like, in other words, like this is a super mild form or an unobjectionable form where I just say like, uh, well, that was a valuable like moment in the unfolding interpretation of U.S. history, potentially. Or, or was it just an imposition of a politically correct ideology? Yeah. If that's what it's going to be like, if, if now this is officially what happens in all the schools or something like that. Like at that point, I start getting the heebie-jeebies, man, and I'm, you know, uh, and then it's time to start bringing in other standpoints yeah. again. Maybe I was going
0: to mention the but, fact that that you know, I could agree with you that sixteen nineteen is an interesting and worthy intellectual exercise, but you do realize it's now being put into like fifth grade curricula.
1: Yes. Yeah, I mean, which I think I wouldn't mind my fifth grader being taught it. But I don't want it sort of imposed as a national history curriculum or something like that either, you know. Yeah. And then, what? And then, someone like Willens is what discredited, and his interpretation of U.S. history can't appear in anymore in U.S. textbooks yeah. or yeah. like that's just that's stupid, you know. Yeah. Like that's
0: yeah. Although but, that, of course, you would correctly point out that is not the fault of the standpoint theory, right? That is that is the fault of People <laughs> b- b- being bad, right? I mean, it just started like, um, um, it's just sort of like. I think that's that's fair. I think that that's fair. Um, so, um, well, all right. I I, I appreciate you um, um, uh, engaging with me with with me on this. Likewise, um, and um, I hope that the rest of your semester. Are you guys ending at Thanksgiving, or are you going to come yes. back? We're ending. What about y'all? Um, My school is not, which I think is insane. But since I'm not teaching on campus, it doesn't affect me. My daughter is at Indiana University in Bloomington, and they are ending at Thanksgiving, which I'm grateful for. So, yeah. Stay healthy. You too. Keep publishing. By the way, I'm going to link, if you don't mind. Crispin's been uh, linking to his uh, video lectures for his online courses um, on Twitter do you mind if I put a few links in uh Sure that'd be great. I have been enjoying watching them and I think people oh, thanks, would en- enjoy watching them too. Um so stay well crispin and uh I'll see you the next time around.
1: Best to you and yours man.
0: All right man. Ciao.
1: See ya, See you.